Hello, hello, hello. Happy New Year, folks. Welcome back. This is the On Being Christian Podcast. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you are local, I'd love to meet you. If not, I'd love to hear from you. Either way, you can get a hold of us at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. You can also get a hold of me at the um, phone number listed right there on the website under the contact link that comes directly to the office here at the church where I am recording this podcast. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I certainly did. I got to spend a lot of time with just my wife and my children, and we certainly made the most of it. Um, But it does already feel like it's quite a ways back in the past. We are, as I am recording this, December 31st, 2023, the very last day of the year 2023, staring down the barrel of 2024. I'm excited. I'm excited for the things that I believe the Lord would have in store for 2024 and all the different opportunities to serve the Lord and the different things that that means and includes. I hope you find yourself in the same place, excited about the year to come and uh, rejuvenated, rested a little bit from just this past week, hopefully some time that you were able to spend with family and, and just kind of enjoy what the Lord has given. I'd like to ask you a question as we go into the new year, and if at all possible, encourage you very, very much to make this question the, the kind of the pivotal point that leads to a very productive year serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The question is very simply also the title of the podcast, Is the God Your God? Is the God your God? And to look at this question, I want to start off in Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25, and I'll read the first five verses, but just to be very clear with you, very honest with you, most of the things that we're going to look at with respect to the question, is the God your God, is found right here in verse 1. The Bible says, Lord, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. For thou hast done wonderful things, thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For thou hast made of a city and heap, of a defensed city a ruin, a, 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 a palace of excuse me, a palace of strangers to to be no city. It shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of the terrible nations shall fear thee, for thou hast been a strength to the poor a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall, thou shalt bring down the noise of the strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with a shadow of a cloud. The branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. And so you have... Whenever you read the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is in many ways referenced as the mini-Bible. The entirety of the Bible has 66 books, and the entirety of the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters, and it covers every aspect of the life and existence of Jesus Christ prophetically. And when you read the book of Isaiah, you always want to keep in mind three things. The first thing is that it is, in fact, a historical book, and so there's a lot that you can learn, historically speaking, about people that lived and what they went through. It is also, in fact, a prophetical book. There's a lot of things that are being applied to uh, the prophecy of things yet to come. Much of it has taken place with the life and ministry and existence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but there's quite a lot that is yet to be fulfilled, and so you have the historical aspect of the book, which we can learn a lot from. You have the prophetical aspect of the book, which points towards Christ in the New Testament and things yet to come. And then we have the personal applicable part of the book, those things which I can apply to myself in the real time right now to be a better Christian. The Bible says that these things were given for our admonition, and that certainly applies to the book of Isaiah. But as we get into just this brief question, this this way in which we can go into the new year asking ourselves kind of a a, a purposeful, uh, priority-driven question, is the God your God? Not asking you if you have a God, but is the God 
your God. And there's three points that I want to look at uh, to help us focal, focalize this question and make it more personal. And I'll just go ahead and give those to you and then re reiterate them when we get to them. The first question is, do I recognize his person? The third or the second question, that's the first question. The second question is, do I recognize his power? And do the, and the third question, do I recognize his purpose? So we're going to look at his person, his power, and his purpose from Isaiah chapter 25. And like I said, I'm almost exclusively going to be just dealing with some of the things that are laid out in just that first verse. Number one says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And so the first part I want to look at is just that first phrase, O Lord, thou art my God. Thou art my God. Think about the boldness of that statement and the fact that it is the desire of the Lord to give you the clarity to recognize exactly who he is. Isaiah says here, O Lord, thou art my God, showing that personal application, that personal acceptance. Imagine being able to look at the God who designed the universe, who designed humanity, who put into practice matter and how it moves and how it creates and how it forms, the, the God who hung the planets and the sun and the stars, the God who created all things, the God whose infinite mass far surpasses the known and unknown universe that we can and cannot see, that God, the Bible says, wants to be your God. And according to Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1, you can, as Isaiah did, say very boldly, O Lord, thou art my God. And that's what I want to encourage you going into a new year. Can you say, as a Christian, the God of the Bible is your God? Now, one of the things that you need to understand is that in order to say the God of the Bible is, in fact, your God, you need to know what the Bible says. So often we've taken Christianity and made it a subjective term that applies to what I would so desire and not what the Lord says it actually is, objectively speaking. And so here we have a man saying, from the perspective of understanding what God's word is, the God of this word is my God. The Lord is my God. He's mine. And I'm his, by the way, is the other, the other half of that. <clears throat> Some verses that we can kind of help us negotiate this question. Psalm 63, and um, make sure I'm where I should be. Yeah, Psalm 63. <clears throat> if I bring it up, right in verse 1, look what it says here. It says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. For the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name." Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So will I sing praises unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Very interesting. Oh, God, thou art my God, is how that starts. Oh, God, attend unto my prayer. That's actually chapter 61 that I just read. Um, if I jump over to chapter 63, it says the same idea. Verse 1 says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee 
while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for foxes. But the kings shall rejoice in God, every one that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. This is an interesting the confidence here that's being um, projected. This is a Psalm of David. He starts the entire thing off by simply saying, O God, thou art my God. Isaiah said the same, same thing. O Lord, thou art my God. Do you recognize the person of God? Do you recognize the personhood of Jesus Christ? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ to the point where you can say with confidence that the God of heaven the God who wrote the Word of God, the God who gave us Jesus Christ, God with us himself, God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means. That's the name of Jesus Christ. Can I say with 100% confidence that he is my God? How different do you think it would be if Christianity, collectively, those who claim to follow Christ, could say with 100% confidence and boldness, that the God is their God. If I stay in Psalm, jump down to chapter 118. Bible has quite a lot to, to say about this. 118, I'll pick it up in verse 5 and read down through verse 14. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. He said, the Lord is on my part. That's what it says back there at the very beginning. The Lord is on my part. The Lord is on my side. He is my strength. He is my salvation. This is incredible confidence in the fact that Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, is a personal God made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. He can be in a personal relationship with you, and you can say that the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, omniscient, all-merciful, loving God of heaven is on your side, because you are on his. That's what being a Christian is all about, accepting God's love made possible to us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, having a relationship with God the Father based off obedience and acceptance of his word, which gives me the confidence to say about the God of creation, the God of the past, and the God of the future, and even more than that, more importantly than all of that, the God of today. This hour, this minute, this second, right now. It's my God. He's my God. And I'm going to go into the new year with my God. Not because he's on my side, but because I'm on his side. That's the confidence of knowing that the God is my God. We're in Psalms, we might as well stay there just for a minute. If I go back to chapter 71. Chapter 71. I'll read the... Uh, the first eight verses here of chapter 71 says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. 
Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God. You hear that? My rock, my fortress, my God. All terms of ownership, all personal recognitions that the God is his God. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked and out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man, for thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. By praise shall be my praise shall be continually before thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Going into 2024, wouldn't it be just a remarkable thing for my mouth to be filled with his praise and his honor all day long? And as a result, he would be my strong refuge, my wonder that my life would point towards the cause and effect of his life. It says in verse 2, Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me. Save me. Verse 1, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Verse 3, Be thou my strong habitation. Verse 4, Deliver me, O my God. My God. So you have all of these references throughout the book of Psalm and then Isaiah where we started, where men with all the confidence in the world said, the God is my God. Can you say that? Can you say that the God is your God personally? Personally, individually, separate from religion, separate from ethnicity or tradition, separate from the things that have been handed down to us. Can you say that the God of heaven is, is your God, and you're going to go into situations knowing that the God is with you because he's your God, and the situations you face will never be situations that you'll face alone. If I jump over to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the Bible says this, let us henceforth come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and the help in the time of need. That word boldly there, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 4, is a word that means all outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, and assurance, confidence, free activity. And so can I boldly, with outspokenness and frankness and boldness, assurance and confidence, can I boldly come to the throne of God? Because I know by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ— and my acceptance and faith and repentance towards him, that the God is my God. And I can come to the throne where the creator of all the universe sits. In my own personal prayer life, I can go straight to the throne of God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and say to the God, God, you're my God. You're mine. And I am yours. And that relationship is all the confidence I need to do exactly what you've told me to do. Stand where you've placed me, say what you've told me, and live how you've instructed. Folks, there's a lot of confidence in clean hands. There's a lot of confidence in a mind and a heart and a soul completely devoted and given over to the relationship between you and your God. There's a lot of the opposite of those effects in a relationship between, uh, or in the lack of a relationship, if you will, between you and the God. If the God is just one of the options of your life, then he's not your God. If the God is just one of the avenues of success for you, then he's not your God. If the God who wrote the word and gave us the commandments of his mind if that God is just a suggestive, uh, subjective God to me, and that I could be my own God, potentially my own desires would be more important than his for my life, then the God is not your God. And in order to have confidence as a Christian, you must be able to boldly say, the God is my God, and I am his. 
And if I can't say that, then how in the world am I going to reach others for the cause of Christ? And so is the God your God? Number one, do you recognize the personhood of God, his person, who he is not apart from you, but who he is to you? What right does God have over your life? By the way, let me answer that for you. God has every right over your life. It might be better to ask it this way. What rights do you what rights does God have over your life that you've recognized? If I put it to you this way, I'm quite confident that everybody listening to this podcast believes in the effect of gravity. Okay? <clears throat> because of that, most of us don't really have any trouble um, thinking that our change or, or lack of belief in gravity would somehow excuse us from its authority over our life. So here's what I want you to understand. Gravity, whether or not I accept it as real or not, has an actual real effect over my life. And I can step off the tallest building with all the disbelief and gravity in my heart, but my disbelief doesn't will it into non-existence. It will exist, does exist, and it will inflict its authority over my life. And somewhere between the time I step off that building and the time I hit the bottom floor, I will have an epiphany. I will have a realization that my lack of belief didn't change the reality. Same thing in the world of God. Same thing religiously, spiritually speaking. Just because I go through life not believing in God doesn't mean that I won't at some point in the future stand before the God. The only difference is I'd much rather stand before him when he is my God as opposed to standing before him when he is just the God. Can you say that the God is your God? Can you say to the God of all creation, you are my God? That is the starting point of a successful life lived as a Christian. That's number one. Number two, do I recognize his power? This is also found back in our text, Isaiah chapter 25, and uh, verse 1, it says, O Lord, thou art my God. And then it goes on to say this, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done Wonderful things. Let's define some terms here. The word exalt is a word that means to be high, actively to rise above, to bring, to extol, to promote. Praise is a word that means to revere or worship intensively to the point of making confession to and to cast out thankfulness towards. So I will exalt thee or actively raise and promote thee. I will praise thy name or I will reverence thy name and, 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 and intensively make confession and worship thy name. And then it says this, for thou hast done wonderful things. The word wonderful is a word that means a miracle. It's a marvelous wonder, a marvelous wonder. So the second point is, do you recognize his power, the power of God? It has been said, and I'm not sure I'll be able to explain it directly, but the Jewish word for God, pronounced in such a way correctly stated, is as it is the, the sound of breath going in and the sound of breath going out. It's an inhale and it's an exhale. The Bible says when God says, I am, that is literally the definition, the word, the name, and I, I don't want to say it's it's a it's I don't want to say it because I think I might get it wrong and I don't have the information directly in front of me but to say the word I am which is who God told Moses to tell Pharaoh sent him to get his people out of Egypt when Moses said well who shall I say sent me God said to him you tell him I am sent you which is in in its Jewish definition the sound literally is the name of breath in and breath out in other words to exhale in and to exhale out is to say the name of God. He is in everything. He is our existence. Without him, we are not existing. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize the power and of God? You praise the wonderful things that God can do. It has been said, if you think about it from this perspective, I asked a guy one time, 
who had no belief in God. And I said, okay, let's just talk about this for just a minute. We were out in the woods, and maybe you've heard this before. And I said, listen, if this tree here were to drop a seedling, and it was to go into a divot in the ground, and nature took its course, and that ground accepted that seed, and and the wind and regular occurrences kind of washed dirt over that seed, that seed, given the proper amount of nutrition, would take root. It would sprout. And if it sprouted and pushed its roots down into the earth, it would produce a canopy as it would go up. And the more time passed, the more intensively strong and and supportive that root system would get, which would produce an equally intensive cover of canopy and shade in that tree. And let's just say you were standing right here and you saw that happen, and it all happened within just a minute. 60 seconds, a seed falls, plants, a tree sprouts, the the, the roots take form, the canopy develops, and you watched it all happen right in front of your eyes. Would that be a miracle? And he said, well, of course that would be a miracle. That's not how things work. And I said, oh, wait a minute. That's actually exactly how things work. That's exactly how things work. We just removed the element of time. And so if you want to look at it this way, everything that is a miracle, humanity has defined as non-miraculous because of the amount of time it takes But God lives outside of time. Time is a creation. And somehow we have convinced ourselves that the most miraculous, wonderful things in the world are nothing more than the due process of time. God's the God of time. A child who grows in the womb. A tree that grows in the forest. Your body, the, the ability for you to articulate and to become more intelligent. Folks, these are all miracles. The fact of existence, your heart, the blood pumping through your veins, the way in which your body was intelligently designed by a God, by the God, by the Creator who loved you. What is time? Why does time remove the miraculous nature of such a God? Do you recognize his power? Are you, can I ask you this? Can you go into 2024 asking God to help you recognize the magnificence of his creation, the magnificence of the work of his hand, the grandeur in a flower that grows in the field, the grandeur of a new baby born, a tree that has survived for generations and gotten stronger for it. These are miraculous things, folks. These are miracles. They're the product of the hand and the power and the articulate nature of a God who loves you. Don't dismiss them as random acts of happenstance. These are wonderful, wonderful things. So do you recognize his person, number one? Number two, do you recognize his power? These are the things that lead one to the point where they can say that the God is there, God. Look at some Bible on this if you don't mind, and if you do, I'm sorry. But I'm not really that sorry, because this is a Christian podcast, and that's what we're doing. We're looking at the Bible and what it has to say about a couple things. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. If I pick it up in verse 1, and I read down here through uh, maybe, I don't know, about verse 19 or so, we see the great power of our God. Exodus 15. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy 
And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as an heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O God, among the gods, little g there, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hath led forth the people which thou hast redeemed, and thou hast guided them in thy strength unto the holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestinia, the duke then the duke of Eden shall be amazed, the dukes of Eden shall be amazed, the mighty men of Moab trembling like, uh, uh, trembling shall take hold upon them, all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away, fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm, they shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with the chariots and with the horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them, but the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. You have the great power of the Lord on display here. And all through those 19 verses, you see the Lord, by the leading of the Holy Spirit upon the, upon the mouth of the man that wrote this, he laid out some pretty magnificent aspects of power. And sometimes we go through our Christianity, we go through our normal life, just dismissing so much of the power of God because it didn't come across like we wanted it to. It didn't look enough like a miracle as we thought it should, and we dismiss it. When, folks, in reality, every breath in and every breath out we give and take speaks the name of God because just our very existence is nothing short than a miracle which God himself is directly responsible for. Do you recognize it? Are you going to go into 2024 recognizing the power of God over every aspect of your life? Or is life just a happy accident and you just a dim-witted traveler with no expectations upon you? Something to think about. If I go to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible has some more things to lay out about the power of God. Verse 10 the Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The power of his might. Do you understand the power of God? Is the God your God? And is the God's power accessible to you? Or is it just a Sunday school lesson that we heard about one time in the past? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Now unto them that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, we can do everything above all that God asks or thinks of us. Why? Because of the power of God that works within us. The word exceeding there is a word that means over and above and beyond, highly more than needed. And the word abundant is a word that means super, abundantly, excessively, measurelessly, superfluous. Superflu super, oh my goodness, that word's got me. Superfluous, thank you. And vehemently above. Vehemently above everything that we ask or think is our God's desire because his power has no short ability of all of that. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that? 
Can you say, going into 2024, going into uh, relationships, personal or otherwise, professional or otherwise, can you say, number one, the God is my God, and number two, his power is accessible to me because he loves me. He loves me. Do I, do I regularly go through life dismissing the miraculous hand of God at work in all the things around me? Can I see how miraculous God is? Do I recognize that power or do I, do I write it off with secular reasons? Colossians 1.11 says, Strengthened with all might, according to the glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Strengthened, what the Bible says, with all might. All might. There's times, folks, in my personal life where strength is not necessarily something I have a lot of. And um, I have told you before, through my life, I've done many things. I've walked many roads. Um, I was an anti-terrorism Marine for some time. Uh, served with 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and that sent me into four different combat zones um, over just as many years. And I am walking proof today that some of those things always stay with you. <laughs> and so because of that, there are things where I once was able to, and now I can't. There are strengths that I once possessed that I no longer possess. Confidence, even. Mostly physically speaking, that I once exuded, if you would at least, you know, just bear with me for a little bit in that thought. Now I don't have any like, confidence. But the Bible says in spiritual things, I can, with God in me, have a lot. In fact, over abundantly and above, exceeding confidence in the ministry in which God's called me to serve him in, which in my case is the pastor of Wasatch Front Baptist Church, a chaplain for the Salt Lake City Police Department, uh, many different things along those lines, a father, a husband, number one above all of those things, a husband, a friend, a brother. These are all things that I can be confident in because I can recognize that it's not my power in any of these relationships with other people that is very special at all, but it's God's power in me. I have access to the power of God, the miraculous hand of God at work in this world. I have access to that. With confidence, nonetheless, because of who God is, not because of who I am. Isaiah chapter 40, 28 through 31, and then we'll go on to the final thought. Isaiah chapter 40, 28 through 31, the Bible says, Hast thou known, excuse me, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, neither is there searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. I don't believe it's going to become any easier to be a Christian, especially a Christian who claims the God as his God, who claims the strength of the Lord available to him. I don't think it's going to be any easier for a Christian to be a Christian in the direction that our secular nation is going, but I do believe that we can run and not be weary, and that we can walk and not faint that we can say with 100% confidence, the God is my God, and his power is available to me. By the way, sometimes we, do, we don't accept that because we want to use his power for secular, uh, singular, beneficial purposes. We want to benefit ourselves with it. The Bible says that's not the cost. That's not the, that's not the price paid. The price wasn't paid for us to benefit ourselves Price was paid for God to benefit us and for us to benefit others. For us to reach the cause of Christ, to reach others for the cause of Christ. And God gives us his strength to do it. 
Let's go back to our text in Isaiah chapter 25. So number one, the O Lord, thou art my God. Can I say that the God is my God? Number two, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Do I understand the wonderful things that God has done? Have I accepted his strength in my life over the things that I couldn't control? Do I understand that the things that God's called me to do, he didn't call me to do alone. He said he'd do them with me. He'd go with me. Do I recognize God's hand in my life? And then the very last part of this verse says, Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And here's the third point. Do I recognize his purpose? So do I recognize his person? Do I recognize his power? And do I recognize his purpose? According to this verse first, it says, Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. The word counsels is a word for prudence or purpose. Uh, It's like a plan or a, a cause of advisement. And faithfulness, he says, Thy counsels or thy cause of advisement, thy prudence, is faithfulness and truth. Faithfulness is the word that means firmness and fidelity. Steady moral application. And truth is simply a word for verity, which means moral fact, moral fact. So, O Lord, my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Both of these words leaning into moral rectitude. So what is the purpose of our God? Folks, the purpose of our God is morality. Morality. He would like and demands morality in this life. And morality is impossible without the author of faith, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Lord can no more be argued with than the effect of gravity on one's own manipulation. But on a long enough timeline, what goes up must come down in the same way. His purpose is unmoved. Past, present, future, his purpose is faithfulness and truth. I want to give you several verses in reference to these things that gives us a very clear picture of exactly what the Lord's desire is. Let's look at faithfulness first. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, the Bible says, Now therefore, excuse me, know therefore that the Lord thy God is, excuse me, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That is faithfulness, folks keepeth his mercy to a thousand generations. If I go to 2 Timothy now, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to keep looking at faithfulness. 2 uh, Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You say, well, I don't believe. It doesn't matter. He will abide faithfully. He cannot deny himself. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. This is the desire of God. He is faithful. He will establish you and keep you from evil. If I know to come to God's throne boldly, if I can say that the God is my God, then God is faithful to keep me and establish me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God is able. He is faithful. He will never let us go through something that we can't make it through with him. Sometimes we face things that we can't make it through, but we're not trying to do it with him, and we blame him for it. God said, no, there might be things that you can't make it through, but when you're with me, there's nothing that you won't be able to make it through. 
The question really is, do I recognize his person? Do I recognize his power? And do I recognize his purpose? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you catch that? He is faithful and just. This says this literally throughout the entirety of the Bible, that God is faithful. One more verse on faithfulness, Lamentations 3 and verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Talking about God's compassions, verse 22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you recognize the faithfulness of God? Or are you too preoccupied with seeing the lack of things you have according to what you define you need and not accepting the blessings that you have according to how God defines the need in your life? Let's look at truth now. Psalm 33 and verse 4, the Bible says, For the Lord of God is right, and all his works are done in truth. Two very simple statements. He is right, and his works are done in truth. Do you accept that? Do you accept that he is right and that his work is truthful? Psalm 86 and verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. Truth. Lord, help us. Folks, truth is just him. He is plenteous in truth. Sometimes I think that we get so lost and so confused because we've left off from him, which has caused us to leave off from truth, which has caused us to float into the never-nevers, if you will, all the while thinking that we have God on our side. No, we left God. We left God. John chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible says here, Jesus saith unto them, saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the way, folks. He is the truth. He is the life. He is all in all. John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 17 the Bible says here, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. Jump down to chapter 4 and verse 24. The Bible says here, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the final verse that I have concerning the fact that the God is very powerful and very truthful, and he wants you to have access to that, is 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 through 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly finished, thoroughly finished, the Bible says. And so three questions that we need to recognize to answer the question, which is the title of this podcast. The question is, is the God my God? Well, how do I answer that? Number one, do I recognize his person? Can I come boldly to the throne of grace? Do I recognize that the God, the creator, the rock, the fortress, my strong refuge, my habitation, my trust, my hope, he's mine, mine alone, and I am his alone, and I, I can have a personal relationship with the God? Number two, recognition of his power. Do I recognize every little thing in life is directly from the benevolence of his hand? Or do I explain away life as happenstance and happy mistakes. And number three, do I recognize his purpose? What is his purpose? Well, the Bible says his counsels are faithfulness and truth. His purpose is the insulation 
of faithfulness and truth into our lives as Christians. The God is only and always will be the only God. Who he is, his power, his purpose are now as they have always been and as they will always be. Is the God, this God, your God, or do you trust another? Do you trust another? Most of the time, the the quote-unquote other that we trust is none other than ourselves. Oh, and we build massive ideologies, even religions, based off us becoming our own God, which is, biblically speaking, absolute nonsense. There is but one God, and he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. And I can go into the new year boldly saying that the God is my God by the recognition of his purpose, by the recognition of his power, and by the recognition of his person. Can you say, the God is my God, or do you just have a religion? Can you say that the God is my God, or do you just have a culture? Can you say that the God is my God, or do you just have a Christian experience? What do you have? Do you have the God of heaven, the creator of the mountains and the hills and the ocean and the animals and the fish and the birds and the very soul, the very air you breathe in and out, the creation of God? Do you have that God as your God or do you just have your own opinions about the way you wish things were? Christianity too often, more often than not, in fact, has become nothing more than the subjective opinion of someone who defines their own beliefs and desires according to the subjective will of their self. The Bible lays out very clearly who God is and who God isn't. The Bible lays out very clearly who Jesus Christ is and what he did for our soul. And the Bible lays out very clearly that in order to have a relationship with the God who desires to have a relationship with me, it must happen by the specific sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. Otherwise, I have nothing. Is the God your God? Going into 2024, can you say with boldness from day one onward, the God is my God and I have his power in my life because I've accepted his purpose for moving forward? Or is it just going to be another year? The same as all the rest. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being attentive. I leave all of these things in the hands of our Lord and give him grace and glory for it. And I would also ask that he go with us as we separate. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you. If you want to get a hold of me, right there on the website's the best way. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next time. God bless.